something we're all familiar with, aren't we? Laws are simply rules that tell us how we may or may not behave. When you're a child, your parents have, have certain rules about how you may or may not behave in the home, in the family. You may not hit your brother or your sister. You may, you may not talk rudely and, and so on. And of course, as citizens of, of Canada, our government has certain rules about how we may or may not behave. But what about Christians? This morning we saw from Philippians 4 that God calls His people to godly living. And and we saw something of what that looks like. But is there a standard for godly living? Is there a set of rules about godly living that Christians are to live by? Some people, even those who profess to be Christians, would say, no, there is no set of rules. We are under grace. We might not say that. We might confess that there is a set of rules, that God's law, the the Ten Commandments, are the standard for godly living, the, the godly living that God Himself calls us to. But at the same time, we can live sometimes as as if it's not. We can live as if God's law isn't really that important or relevant for our lives as Christians. You think about the decisions we make each day, about what we're going to do or, or where we're going to go. How, how prone we can be to think more, when we make those decisions, more about what we want or what's most convenient and so on. And, and we think little, maybe, or if at all, about whether it agrees with the law of God. How prone we can be sometimes to live as if our conscience is the standard. As long as my conscience doesn't bother me, it's fine, I can do it. Or as if our, maybe our intentions and our sincerity is the standard. Not, not God's law. Well, that's why we need to be reminded not only that God calls us to godly living as we saw this morning, but also that God's law is the standard for godly living. We've noted that in passing several times. In the last few weeks, as we've been looking at Scripture's teaching about the necessity of believers doing or living a life of good works and about the life of conversion. And that's why in the coming weeks, we'll be looking at each each commandment in particular to see where we need to change, in what ways we need to repent and, and be transformed. But before we do that, it's good to just, just stop and, and reflect on this biblical truth more fully. Namely, that God's law, the Ten Commandments, is the standard for godly living. Also because we can be so prone to live as if it's not. And so, with God's help, that's what we hope to do this this afternoon as we consider our text, Deuteronomy 5, verse 22, really in in the context of that chapter and and the context of all Scripture, in connection also with the first part of Lord's Day 34. Now in Deuteronomy, Moses is giving his parting instructions to Israel in the wilderness. They will will soon be going into the land of of Canaan, but Moses will not be with them. He will soon die. And so Deuteronomy is is really his parting instructions to Israel. And in chapter 5, he recounts for Israel how the Lord spoke his law, the Ten Commandments to them on Mount Sinai or, or Mount Horeb. And verse 22 describes that event for us in a way that makes clear 
that God's law is the standard by which God's people are to live. Let me just read that verse again, Deuteronomy 5, verse 22. This is what it says. These words the Lord spake, having just spoken the Ten Commandments. These words the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mount, out of the midst of the fire of the cloud and of the thick darkness with a great voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them in two tables of stone and delivered them unto me. What does this verse in its context teach us? Well, one lesson it, it teaches us is that God's law is the standard by which God's people are to live. And that truth is also why the, the first part of Lord's Day 34 in question 92 asks that question, what is the law of God? And it gives the Ten Commandments as the answer. The Ten Commandments, in other words, they teach us how we must behave both towards God and our neighbor, as question and answer 93 remind us. It's the standard, the standard for godly living. So our theme then is God's law, the standard for godly living. We'll see, first of all, it's a complete standard. Secondly, it's an abiding standard. And thirdly, it's a gospel standard. First of all, a complete standard. That's what the first part of verse 22 really highlights for us. It says there that the Lord spoke His law, His, His Ten Commandments to all the Israelites out of the midst of the fire of the cloud and of the thick darkness with a great voice, and He added no more. And that means that the Ten Commandments are a complete standard for godly living. Our text points us to two things that drive that home. It points us, first of all, to the supremely solemn revelation of this standard. What an event that was. Moses just really refers to it briefly here, but in Exodus 19 and, and 20, he describes it in more detail. It happened, it happened in the third month after the Lord had brought the Israelites out of Egypt. That was quite something when they had been brought out of Egypt. Having crossed the Red Sea, the Lord opening the way, and they, they came through, and, and everything that happened there. And then the third month, the people came to Mount Sinai, and they, and they camped there, and, and while they were there, God met with Moses on the mountain and he told him to tell the children of Israel these words in Exodus 19 verses 4 through 6. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a, a peculiar, a special treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so Moses, he did as God commanded. He, he went down and he told the people these words, and, and they responded, Yes, we will do, tell the Lord, we will do all that, that he had spoken. And then the Lord then commands Moses to sanctify the people, to consecrate them that day and the next, because the third day he would come down on the mountain in the sight of the people. And, and so Moses did. He, he sanctified, he consecrated the people. They washed their clothes. They, they put up a fence around the mountain like, like God told Moses to, to keep anyone from touching the mountain. As, as from touching the mountain. You, you can imagine those two days, the anticipation, the, the excitement, the holy excitement building as they waited for that third day. And then it happens. On the third day, in the morning, we read in Exodus 19, there are thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mountain and the sound of a trumpet 
Can you imagine? Try to imagine the sound of a trumpet exceeding loud, so, so loud that everyone in the camp, we were told, is trembling. And, and then Moses brings them out of the camp. He leads them out to meet with God at the bottom of the mountain. And as they come to the mountain, the whole mountain is in smoke and it's, it's, it's shaking because the Lord has descended upon it in fire. And they hear the trumpet as they stand there. They hear the trumpet, the sound of the trumpet becoming long and growing louder and louder and louder. And then Moses speaks and God answers him and calls him up to the top of the mountain. The Lord tells them there to go back down and, and, and to, to warn the people lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze at Him and, and many of them perish. And He tells them, the priests too, you must, they must sanctify themselves lest the Lord break forth upon them. Moses tries to point out to the Lord there's already offense, but, but that doesn't matter. The Lord tells them away, go down and do it anyway. Only Moses and Aaron may come up. And so, so Moses goes down and he speaks to the people. And then suddenly, suddenly we read, the people hear the Lord speaking to them, speaking unto all of them out of the midst of the fire, out of the cloud and of the thick darkness with a great voice. And what do they hear him saying? They hear him saying, speaking his law, his Ten Commandments. That's how God revealed those commandments, what, what a solemn revelation that drives home not only their authority, but also their completeness. You see, the Lord spoke. He spoke that way to the people. He spoke only the Ten Commandments that way, directly to the people. Everything else that He revealed, all the other commands that He revealed to the people, He revealed to them through Moses. He spoke to Moses, and Moses spoke to the people. But the Ten Commandments, the Lord Himself spoke directly to the people. In other words, the Ten Commandments are set apart from everything else. And that tells us they are a complete standard. And our text really emphasizes that, doesn't it? It not only points us to the supremely solemn revelation of this standard, but it also says plainly that the Lord added no more to it. It's a complete standard. John, John Calvin put it this way, when Moses stated that God added no more, he signifies that a, perfect, that a perfect or complete rule of life is contained in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are God's complete standard for godly living. And that means, congregation, it's not something, it's not something the people of God may subtract from on the one hand or add to on the other. It's important to remember because it's so easy to do, at least in practice. That was the problem with Israel and so much of the Old Testament. You read about them in the prophets sometimes, like in Isaiah 58 or in the book of Malachi, asking God, why don't you take notice of our worship? And the Lord tells him, he says, yes, you're worshiping me, but at the same time, you're oppressing others. You're not showing mercy to the poor. You're, you're forsaking the wife of your youth and, and committing adultery. You see, they were living according to some of the commandments, at least outwardly, but they were ignoring others and then wondering why God was displeased with them. It's because His law is a complete standard. You can't pick and choose what to obey. No, like it says in James 2 verse 10, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. 
We may not, the point is, we may not subtract from the law of God. And yet in practice, it can be so easy to do. Should we not examine ourselves on this point? Are we seeking by grace, by grace, to obey all of God's commandments? Or are there some that we're implicitly subtracting, ignoring? Subtracting is one danger. Adding is another. That's what the Pharisees did. They added all kinds of extra things on top of the law of God. And we see that in Matthew 15. The Pharisees complained to Jesus because his disciples had transgressed the tradition of the elders by not washing their hands when they eat bread. And this washing, you understand, wasn't about cleaning, cleaning germs off your hands. No, it was a religious ritual, a ritual that they had added with no basis in Scripture. The Lord Jesus made that clear. He said to these Pharisees that they were teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. That hand washing was a, was a commandment of, of men, not of God. And Jesus even pointed out that men's commandments to God's law, adding men's commandments to God's law, actually in practice for at least part of the time, ended up subtracting God's commandments from His law. Adding man's commandments ended up subtracting God's commandments. What's the lesson? What's the lesson from that, that, that episode? A lesson is not, children, that your parents' rules are bad and, and therefore you don't have to obey them. The lesson is not that man-made rules, all man-made rules are bad. That's not the lesson. The lesson is that we must never make man-made rules equal to the commandments of God, to God's law, the Ten Commandments, or treat them that way. They are a complete standard. God added no more, and neither should we. Neither may we. And here too, is there not reason to examine ourselves? It can be so easy to do, can't it? To add rules here and add rules there. As equal, and treat, treat, treating them as equal to God's commandments. As an essential part of the standard for godly living. We may not do that. The Ten Commandments are a complete standard. If you want to live godly, and we should because that's what God calls us to do, then we must seek to keep these commandments, all ten of them. The first four that teach us especially how we must behave before God, and the last six that teach us, that teach us what duties we owe to our neighbor. These are the standard, no less and no more. They are complete. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean it's a low standard. It's not low at all. It's extremely high. It covers all of our relationships. It covers all of our circumstances. And it covers not just our outward actions, but our words, our words and, our, and, 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 and the thoughts of our hearts. Jesus made that clear in his Sermon on the Mount. Just because you've never literally killed someone doesn't mean that you're off the hook with the Sixth Commandment. The sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, forbids more than that. It forbids sinful anger, Jesus pointed out. And it requires love and care and respect for people's lives and well-being. And the same kind of thing goes for all of the, the Ten Commandments. And we'll, we'll see that more in the coming weeks. It's an extremely high standard. And that's what makes it, part of, partly what makes it so complete. Does that mean, maybe you're wondering... Does that mean other commands that God gives us in Scripture don't matter? 
No, it does not mean that. God's other commands are essentially God's authoritative application of the Ten Commandments. Some of them, like the ceremonial and civil laws, the laws about the Old Testament tabernacle and sacrifices, the laws for Old Testament Israel as a nation, they no longer apply to us in the same way as they did then because they were only meant for a particular time and place. We can still learn important principles from them, but they don't apply to us in the same way as the Ten Commandments, as a standard for godly living. But there are others, including many commands in the New Testament, that do apply, not as additional commands, but as God's applications of the Ten Commandments for His New Testament church. The point is, God's, God's law outlined in the Ten Commandments are a complete standard for godly living. The question, the question that we must really ask ourselves then is, are we living our lives by it? Are we living our lives by it? Maybe you, think, maybe you wonder, well, is that law still for us today? The answer of Scripture is yes. And that brings us to the second point our text teaches. It teaches us not only that God's law is a complete standard for godly living, it's, it's an abiding standard. In Deuteronomy 5, verse 22, after Moses says that the Lord added no more. He says also that the Lord wrote them in two tables of stone. How does that teach us? How does that teach us that the Ten Commandments still apply to us today? Not as a way of salvation. They never did. They never did. But as a standard for godly living. The fact that God himself wrote them in two stone tablets, two stone tables. He didn't write them in a book. He didn't write them on a scroll. He wrote them. He engraved them in stone. Exodus, the book of Exodus says he wrote them. It was written with the finger of God. And that shows us the points that signifies that the Ten Commandments are not a temporary standard, but they are an abiding standard. It means that God's law can never change. It can never be adjusted. It can never be erased. It's, it's a little bit like children. Maybe you've, 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 uh, seen sometimes when, or maybe you've had it at home or somewhere where a new floor is poured, a concrete floor. And when you press your hand into that floor before it's hardened, or maybe your, your, your boot, what, what happens? Well, you get a handprint or you get a boot print. And if, if you do that and you let the, the concrete harden, and once that concrete is hard, you, you can't change that, that handprint, that boot print. You see, in the same but even greater way, when God etched His law in the two stone ta- tables, He was saying these commandments cannot be changed. They are unchangeable. And they're also indestructible. They're permanent. They are and remain the standard for godly living. That's, that's true even after Christ's coming and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that's why in Matthew 5, We've looked at that verse, those verses not too long ago. But in Matthew 5, verses 17 and 18, in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or tittle, the smallest markings in the, in the, the Hebrew alphabet, shall in no wise pass from the law till all shall be fulfilled. Well, what law was he talking about? We know, don't you? When you read the rest of the the, the Sermon on the Mount, 
we realize he was talking about the Ten Commandments, and so he was saying that the Ten Commandments continue today, not just as a means to convict us of sin and to drive us to Jesus Christ for our salvation, and not just as a means of restraining evil, but also and especially as a standard for his disciples, for Christians, as a standard, really the standard for godly living. And that means that God's law matters. It matters immensely. No, it is not a means. Do not misunderstand. It is not a means of making us righteous before God. It's not a means of, of justification. It hasn't been ever since our fall into sin in the Garden of Eden. The Bible is clear on that. We are not and never can be justified, declared righteous, even in part by the works of the law. Because on this side of heaven, None of us do or can live up to the standard perfectly. The only way to be righteous in the sight of God is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But you see, when our faith is in Him, when we by grace have received and are resting upon Christ alone for all of our salvation, then it's true, then it's true, absolutely, completely, 100% true, that there is no condemnation toward us. In that sense, we are not under the law, but under grace. The law cannot condemn us when we belong to Christ by faith. We are not under the curse of the law because Christ has borne the curse for us. But that doesn't mean then that God's law doesn't matter or that we can live however we like. No, having been justified by faith, we are also called by God to godly living and God's stand, the God's law is the abiding standard for that. It's a summary of godliness because it's a testimony. That's what it's called in Scripture. It's a testimony. It reflects who God is. It's the blueprint, the guide that we're to follow, that we're to use. It's an abiding standard. And when that, that's what we're doing, when we're we are using God's law that way, zealously seeking to live according to God's law for that purpose. Not, not to earn in any way our righteousness before God, but simply as our standard for godly living in thankfulness to Him for the righteousness of Christ that He grants freely and imputes to us. When we're using the law, zealously seeking to live according to God's law, out of thankfulness for that to him. That's not legalism. That's real Christianity. God's law, you see, is an abiding standard. It's a standard for godly living also for us today. Oh, then let's not trample it underfoot. Let's not treat it lightly by acting as if it doesn't matter or by living as if our conscience is the standard. Our conscience can be wrong. God's law is never wrong. But maybe by this point you're thinking, well, Pastor, this is, this is a bit heavy. This is a bit discouraging. I mean, sure, this, this, I see that this standard is a complete standard. It's an abiding standard. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. It's too high. It's too high for me. I don't live up to it even though I try, even though I want to. I know. Neither do I. And that's why we need to remember the third thing about God's law. It's not only a complete and an abiding standard. It's a gospel standard. It's a good news standard. 
It's a standard we're to follow, you see, in response. I've already hinted at this, but it's, it's in response to God's redemption, God's salvation. God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments to follow, not in order to earn their deliverance out of Egypt, but as a response to their deliverance. And the introduction to the law reminded them of that. Remember what it says? I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Those words, they reminded Israel of, the, of God's grace, of God's mercy to them. They, 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 they reminded Israel that they were to follow this standard as a response of thankfulness to God's deliverance of them out of Egypt. It was meant to teach them and to teach us that God's law is never a way to earn salvation. It's a response to the gospel, to the salvation that God grants us by grace. And so as we look at the standard in the coming weeks, that's an important reminder for us. That we don't look at the standard, that we don't come to the standard to think, okay, I have to do these things and that's how I earn my salvation. No. No. But are we... As we, as we look at the commandments and as we see our shortcomings and hopefully are convicted by the Holy Spirit of our failures in different ways to live up to the standard that we don't despair, but rather repent and go forward, go forward in, in joyful, renewed obedience, trusting humbly in Jesus Christ who shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Not only because it's a standard we're to follow in response to God's redemption, but also because it cannot be separated. It cannot be separated from Christ, Christ's sacrifice for sin. You see, the law of God, we need to remember, even for the old, in the Old Testament, wasn't given in isolation. God gave the Ten Commandments along with what? Along with instructions about what? Along with instructions about sacrifices. Sacrifices for cleansing. Sacrifices that pointed to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for sin. That sacrifice that cleanses us from sin. And so again, again, we, we don't misunderstand. God's law is not a standard for justification. It's a standard for godly living. And as we examine ourselves by this law and are convicted by our sins, again, we do not despair, but we rather confess our sins humbly and we look humbly to Christ by faith for cleansing and renewal. Our sins, I believe it says in Psalm, if I have it right, Psalm 69, our sins prevail against us, but thou hast provided an atonement for them. So as we confess our sins and look to Christ by faith for cleansing and renewal, we can go forward in hope and confidence because he will, he will, Christ will cleanse and renew you see, the wonderful promise of the gospel is not only that God will cleanse us from our sins, not only that he will remember our sins no more, but also, this is a beautiful thing, he will write his law upon our hearts. That means he will teach us, Christ will teach us and enable us to begin to keep it and to grow in keeping it by his Holy Spirit. That's what he does. You see, ultimately, Ultimately, the Ten Commandments are in the hands of Christ. He's the one. We read, we read that the Lord delivered, delivered those commandments, those two tables of stone to Moses. 
But Christ is the one to whom Moses pointed. Think about who Moses was. He was the leader of Israel, the one whom God had chosen to bring his people out of Egypt to free them from their bondage and slavery. And that what, when you think about that, what does that make you think of? Or who does that make you think of? Who does Moses represent? Who does he point to? Who is he a shadow of? He's a shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we read, we read Deuteronomy 18, because there Moses himself even prophesies of Christ. He says that the Lord God would raise up a prophet from the midst of them like him, like Moses, and would put his words in his mouth. And he would speak unto them all that the Lord would command him. And that's speaking of Jesus Christ. We know that because Acts 3 tells us Jesus is that prophet. The point is, Moses is a shadow of Christ. And ultimately then, the, 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 the Ten Commandments, the law of God, we can say has been delivered unto Jesus Christ. And that's good news. Because Christ, Christ is the one who has perfectly kept this law. Christ is the one who suffered the curse due us because of our transgressions of this law. And he has earned the righteousness of God for us, for all who look to him in faith. And so as we come to the law of God, we, 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 we think of it as coming to, it's, it's coming to us from Jesus Christ. Because the law has been given to him, it's coming to us from him. And, and he's the one who has satisfied the justice of God completely and fully. And so, and so we, can, we can, as we hear that law, we can again go to him. It's the gospel standard. And we can, we can look to him as one who can forgive us and who has the power to write those commandments in our hearts by his Holy Spirit so that we can begin to live godly in Christ Jesus and grow more and more in that way. The point is, God's law, God's law, what I've tried to show this evening is, is that it's a standard for godly living. It's a standard for godly living. It's a complete standard. It's an abiding standard. It's a gospel standard. So in the coming weeks, as we look at these commandments, let's examine ourselves and let's resolve by the grace of God to live in dependence on Christ according to it. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, our God, we thank, thank you so much that our Lord Jesus Christ has come and fulfilled the Ten Commandments perfectly, never ever once breaking any one of the Ten Commandments. No one could ever convict him of sin. And yet he suffered, he suffered the curse due to transgressors because he bore the sin of many. He was made sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What an amazing gospel. And we pray then that as we, in the coming weeks, reflect on each of the Ten Commandments, that we would not use it wrongly, that we would not use it as a as a a way that we can be made righteous before you, 
but that it would be a means of convicting us of sin and showing us our need of Christ, driving us to Him and humbling us in repentance that we might look to Him in dependence on Him, live and grow in living according to this standard. Thank you, O Lord, for not leaving us to ourselves. We pray that our lives, our consciences, our hearts would be more and more shaped by your law, which is holy and righteous and good. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.